This is from Galatians 6, 1 through 10. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be too t- lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For for if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. For this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's often an interesting phenomenon that happens in movies uh, around the holiday time of Christmas where there is movie that will come out almost every year about um, a gathering of a family together and the focus is primarily on the dysfunctionality of that family. So whether it be one person or multiple people having different problems or issues in their life, there's this sort of every year reminder that happens in these holiday movies that we live dysfunctional lives often together. Uh, And so we'll watch them and go and identify, oh yeah, I know that situation, or I've been involved in that situation, or that's very similar to my family. Now let me just say, uh, I'm very blessed in that I don't necessarily deal with that dysfunctionality in my family both the one that I was born into and the one that I married into, it tends to be fairly functional at best. Um, Having said that, I do know that oftentimes people say that in a room full of people, there's always a jerk, and if you can't find the jerk, that means you're that one. So it could be that it's very dysfunctional and it's all based on me and my dysfunction that I bring into the place. But in my bliss, in my ignorance, I look at my family and I think, man, we are pretty functional. We don't have those arguments or disagreements or passivity or silence that hits most of the time in most of our gatherings. What what Paul's doing here really in this letter is dealing with the dysfunctionality of family. He's not actually looking at the, the, the gathering of those churches in Galatia and looking at them and saying, you're not part of the family anymore. He's not saying you're clearly pushed out. Now, these are men and women who have gathered around who have belittled Paul, who have talked bad about him, who have said that he was wrong, who have accused him of lying, who have gone about really a, a character assassination of who Paul is. On top of that, 
they've really preached and taught these Galatian new Christians, these new followers, a false religion. They, he, he, they've brought about something that's beyond the gospel. Not Jesus plus nothing, but Jesus plus something. And it, at times he's been very harsh in this letter to them in talking about what they've done and what he even wishes they might do, as we saw a few weeks ago. But interestingly enough, in this letter that's being read to everybody in these churches that are gathered together, he said, brothers or family. And so it's a good reminder for us that, yes, there are times when dysfunctionality takes place in our lives, in our families, in our gathering, in the people that God brings into our sphere of life. But we can still say, brother... (laughs) sister, family, that we're not pushed off or pushed away. Now, the ten verses that were read to us today really sort of set in a a, a parenthetical place. They kind of follow after what Paul has said earlier and what he says in verse 10. So, as way of reminder... Last week we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, that this fruit grows in us, that it's slow to grow, but it shows itself. And then Paul points out the way that it kind of grows is in community, that we need each other in order to see it happen. And he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. So that's the first part of the the parenthetical sort of statement. We should not be conceited, full of ourselves. We shouldn't be provoking one another or envying one another. And then he says in verse 10 of chapter 6, So then, as you have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are in the household of faith. And in the in-between, in the parenthetical nature of this, he is saying, here's how that looks. Here's what it looks like to not be conceited, to not be provoking, and to not envy one another, and to look for every opportunity to do good. He's saying, here's kind of what it looks like for you to do that. So we're going to kind of walk that path with Paul today as he looks at it. Just a reminder, again, this is not exhaustive. Paul's not saying, if you do only these things, then you're good. But he gives them to us as an example, as a way of showing the way that our hearts bear the fruit of the Spirit. How we walk in this way. So let's look at the first one. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. But keep watch over yourself lest you be too tempted. Now, if you're like me, you automatically think of a character that Dana Carvey had, who was an American comedian in an American show called Saturday Night Live. I don't know if he made his way over here, but it was a a character called the church lady. Now, the church lady hosted a show, and she would have people come on, and her catchphrase was, well, isn't that special? as they would talk about what they were doing or how pompous they were. And it was really his way of belittling celebrities. And it was pretty unique and nice. And he would say, no, isn't that special? 
But one of the things that she was always doing, or he, as she, was always doing, was pointing out that there was something behind what they were doing. That they were always about themselves, that they were always prideful or arrogant. And then he would say, who's behind that all? Is it Satan? And I think about that when I read that. That idea that we're supposed to be helping those who are tempted. Because I think our hearts can run to a place where we're like the church lady, where we're just like, well, isn't that special? That you're falling into that sin. Isn't that special that Satan's got a hold of you, but he doesn't have a hold on me? The other way that we might look at it is like the old hall monitors that would sit in my school uh, when I was in elementary, who would sit there and watch for students who were out of class and doing the things that they shouldn't do. And in passing periods would sit there and watch. Oftentimes they were the teacher's pet. And they would sit there and go, oh, 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 I saw Lee Hinkle running in the hallway. He was out when you shouldn't have been out. And so I think in our minds we think of that and we hear this challenge of what it looks like to not provoke one another, not to envy one another, to look for every opportunity to do good. (laughs) And we hear this, help those, go after those. If anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual, restore them. And we go, well, I don't want to be accused of being um, someone who just is paying attention to all the bad things that people do. I, I don't want to be accused of being so righteous or right that people think I, I don't do any wrong. I, I don't want to be the one that gets accused of being a too goody, goody, good shoes. And so we neglect this command. We neglect this place of looking for every opportunity to do good. Partly because we think, even when we read these words, you who are spiritual. Mm, I don't know that I'm spiritual enough. (laughs) Right? Am I really righteous enough? Am I really holy Enough? Am I really in the right place? It can't possibly be me. And so here's the reminder for you. No, you're not. Nor am I. None of us are righteous enough. Except that we are. Except that as being brought into the family of God, as being ones who possess the Spirit, as being ones where the fruit is growing in us and showing itself, as those who walk in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, those of us who live by the Spirit, we do have a place to walk with those who are being tempted into transgressions. But it doesn't look like the church lady, and it doesn't look like the hall monitor, and it doesn't look like some version of God that we have that is up there with a big book going, oh, they screwed up today. What it looks like is the father who we know through Scripture is the one who is in a rapid, radical pursuit of restoration of us. That his discipline, his discipline, which is love, comes from a place of restoration. It doesn't come from a place of retribution. God is not in the business of punishment in order for you to feel the pain of what you've done. However, 
the pain comes as consequence of what you do, but in God's economy, in what He does, is He allows us to then be restored. But it only happens as others come around us to remind us, to show us. Paul, in another place, says this, that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Now, if you've ever been in a situation where you've had to help somebody see where they've been wrong, and hopefully move them to a place of acceptance of that wrong, and moving forward from that wrong. You know, you know that it is hard not to punish, to correct the behavior. But God's movement is to restore and get underneath the behavior to the heart of the matter. And so for us who are called by God in the Spirit to walk along with somebody, those of us who are spiritual to step in and help somebody who is in transgression, we are not overcome by evil, but we overcome evil with good. We move to the place of going, can I help you, and at the same time probably help myself, lift God higher and higher, put Him in His proper place on His throne, see Him, as the creator and the loving pursuer of your soul, in order for you to fall madly and deeply in love with him. So that good will come from even the bad. The Father's promise to us is that he takes our darkness and he makes it light. So even our failures do not stop us in God's pursuit. Even our failures do not quit God's working in our hearts. Even our failures, our sins, are not the things that will separate us from Him. Because His love is pursuant constantly for us. But it's when we neglect it. When we neglect His forgiveness. When we neglect the fact that His kindness is drawing us to repentance. When we neglect and believe that He is harsh and that He is angry, and that He is coming for us. Then we hide. Then we do not receive. And then I think we're fearful to go to others and say, not you've done wrong, but Jesus loves you so much. He knows the way of life. Hear the words of life and move towards Him. The second place that we're called to work in this place is to bear one another's burdens, so to fulfill the law. Burden is a hard word. It's a big word. It's a word that really is talking about calamity. Things that you actually can never carry on your own. Those things that are so beyond your capacity that they crush you that they move underneath you. And so what Paul is reminding here is those of us who are looking for every opportunity to do good, those of us who are walking in a place of non-conceit, humbly, those of us who are walking not to provoke one another or to envy one another, we will move into a place where we will lift one another up, that we will be able to see and recognize those things that are crushing each other and that we will swoop in to help. Oftentimes,
sometimes those are physical things. Physical things happen to us. Sickness, loss of jobs, those things that are outside of our control, those things that we didn't bring upon ourselves that are burdens, loss of loved ones, moves from across one side of the world to another, and the loneliness that can set in. We must find one another and see one another and recognize one another. And we come in and we lift up. One of the biggest places of burden that we can walk in with one another is when our faith is diminishing for others to look at us and say, I have faith for you. When a person can't move into a place of confession, of recognizing the need for repentance, we can say as a corporate body, as people who are gathered together, I will repent for you. Leading you, teaching you, guiding you, carrying your burden. It's beyond us. And real quickly, it looks like Paul actually contradicts himself. Because just down, he says, but let each one of you test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself, alone, and not his neighbor. For each of you have to bear your own load. Well, so do we bear our burden, or do we bear our load, or what does that look like? Well, load there's a different word. It's not burden, it's load. Well, that makes perfect sense, right? The load is the thing that is that task that we're called to do that thing that we've been given to accomplish, those places of job or even ministry that God has given us to do, they're our load. They're the thing that we carry. So when you uh, are leasing a home, there is a time that happens. Some, for some, it happens every three months. For some, it happens every six months where the inspection takes place. And they come in and they look at the house that you're leasing and they want to make sure that you're keeping it clean and that things aren't running down ragged and that you've not been abusive to the property. The burden is to make it look pristine. And so everybody in the family is chipping in and getting everything done. And even kids who have never cleaned toilets are all of a sudden cleaning toilets. And then you're cleaning them after them. But that's okay. They're all working together to get things done. Things that really never get done outside of that three-month or that six-month window. You know, those little places that we actually never really clean, those get cleaned as well. Until you're lucky and you learn, well, the inspector's really not that hard, so I don't have to clean the oven as often. (laughs) But, every day, you need to make your bed. Every week, at least, you should vacuum your floor. You should, at least, when you take off your dirty clothes, put them in the dirty clothes hamper. And when you get clean clothes, you should put them away. That's the difference between a burden and a load. A load are those regular things that we have to do that have to keep life going to get done. And so we should carry those loads. What was happening, though, here, that Paul is sort of giving a subtle dig to the Judaizers, to those people who are still part of the family but are dysfunctional, what what he's doing is he's saying, look, you guys continue to try to make the most of yourself. You all continue to try to make your... So you'll look at your load and you'll go... Oh, it's so hard. I need so much help. Uh, uh, Why don't you guys help me? Isn't it great that all my neighbors come and help me with my load? How great it is. That's what he's doing there. No, because they shouldn't be helping you with your load. But they should help you with your burdens. 
Now, that's not to say that our loads sometimes don't become burdens. Because you know, if you don't make your bed for several times, or you don't put away your dirty clothes, all of a sudden it mounds up and mounds up, and you have no clean clothes, and so to walk around naked is not an option in most polite society. So you have a good day and a half of laundry that you need to do. That's sort of a burden. Somebody might say, can I help you do a couple of loads so that you can... We don't have to see that. We move in that direction. See, what Paul is reminding them and what he's saying to them is, look, don't think too highly of yourself. That's what he says there. What, what is that? Don't be conceited, right? Don't think too highly of yourself. If anyone thinks that, they're not getting any reward for that. So that's the second area. We walk in a place because we know that God longs for our repentance, so it's okay for us to help each other see our transgressions so that we can move into a place of repentance. We never do that harshly. We only do that through kindness because God does that through kindness. Kindness leads to repentance. We also walk along with one another, both in our loads and in our burdens. We understand that people have things that are going on in their lives that they need to take care of, and at the same time there are things that rush in that are so beyond them that we need to as brothers, as family, step into and hold up to carry along, to say, I've got this for one another. And we do that by not thinking too highly of ourselves, not being conceited, not provoking one another or envying one another, looking for every opportunity to do good. The next thing that he talks about is this. Let the one who has taught the word Share all good things with the one who teaches. Pastors love this verse. But it's not just for pastors. I'm teaching you the word. You should share with me all good things. It can get twisted very easily and very quickly. But within this context, what he's saying is that each one of you, not just Paul, but brothers, we are going towards one another to help you not be tempted, to help you not fall into transgression. We are holding each other's burdens. And so that within that place, we are sharing and teaching one another what it's like. And so in every effort, we should be moving to share good with one another. Those who are within our gathering, those who are outside of our gathering, we move together to share good with one another. All good things. That we don't hold back. That it causes our lives to be lives of generosity. That there's never a place where we don't think that we don't have the abundance of the Father. That we can constantly move and say, I can give just a little bit more. Now, just get out of your mind that I'm talking about money here. Because it can rush in. It does for me. So, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about life. I'm talking about gifting. I'm talking about talents. I'm talking about place. I'm talking about relationally. That we have been given so much that we move towards God in that way. The risk is that we'll be abused. The risk is that we will be hurt. The risk is that our heart will be taken and it will be seen as not a loving gesture, but as something to manipulate and move so that we can, somebody can just get a little bit more from us. That's the reason why he says this right after. 
Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows in his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows in the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. It's a warning to both sides of the equation. Those who are being taught and those who are teaching. It's a warning to both sides of that generosity equation. It's saying, look, if you're looking at this as an easy mark, as somebody to manipulate, understand that you're reaping into a place that will bring about corruption and death. That in that place, if you're looking at it as only people and you've dehumanized them so much as just a form for you to get what you want and no longer as someone created by God, then you have a self-fulfilling prophecy that will happen. You will become the one who becomes dehumanized. Because all you will care about is that material thing or that one thing that you think will fulfill you so much and it will overtake your heart and put you into bondage. And God did not create us to be in bondage. You become dehumanized by it. The most interesting thing of all is that by walking in the fruit of the Spirit, by moving in that place, again, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. By living and sowing into that Spirit, we become more and more human. And we see those around us more and more in their humanity. And it moves us to a place as not seeing them either as the attacker or as the tool for me to get what I want. But they move into a place of someone I don't need to think I'm better than, that I don't need to provoke, that I don't need to envy, that I need to look for every opportunity to do good for them. And Paul knows that it's hard. Paul recognizes that the work of going and giving and living the generous heart, the work of being the one that seems to be the person who gives continually and continually with no return, is hard. How do we know that? He says, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. The promise for those of us who walk in the Spirit is that we will receive, even when it feels like it will never happen. The promise for us, the thing that keeps us going, is not some intimate uh, 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 or immediate gratification. But it's that hope of complete restoration for all things. It's the hope for complete restoration of all relationships of all humanity that is available in Christ Jesus. So we do not grow weary. But in order to do that, we have to be together. (laughs) In order to do that, we have to be built with one another. 
My dad would put it this way. You have stinking thinking. Stinking thinking. It's that thought process that we get into that says, well, it's all about me or it's only me or nobody understands me. And that's stinking thinking. That I'm too small or too little or not bright enough. It's stinking thinking. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's the way it is when we sow into the flesh. When we sow into the flesh, when we do the acts of the flesh, the works of the flesh, it just continues to perpetuate itself and goes further and further. And we move further and further away from living in the Spirit. Look, if you plant something, the seed that it says that it is will produce the thing that it says that it is. So if you plant jealousy, guess what? You'll be jealous. If you plant animosity, guess what? you'll have animosity. But if you plant love, grace, peace, patience, then you will have those things. Praise be to God. I'm not the planter. The Father is. God plants those things for us. He's the one who weeds. He's the one who is the gardener who comes in and plants those righteous seeds. It is by living in the Spirit that we move. So in this place, where we are at, in this gathering, in this parenthetical sort of construct of Him telling us and talking to us about what it looks like to be people who aren't conceited, who don't provoke one another, who don't envy one another, who look for every opportunity to do good. What does that mean for us? <laughs> it means this. Let's look for every opportunity to do good. Let's seek every moment to do good. And I love what he adds. To everyone, but especially the household of God. That there is something about His gathering. There is something about God's weaving together of His people. There is something about it that means we are always for one another. Because God is for us. We are always welcoming to one another because God is welcoming to us. We are always, first and foremost, looking for the good for one another protecting one another, being diligent for one another, stepping in and encouraging and urging and comforting one another. So my prayer is that that's what we look like as a gathering, that we're a place where we seek to do good for one another and for everyone. Because the reality is, is if we can't do it for our family, no matter how dysfunctional they are, even if we do it for the stranger, we've missed out. John puts it this way. If you say you love the Father, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. We must love one another. In all our dysfunctionality. Because we're family. Because God built us that way. But He calls us to live in that place. Let's pray. Father God, you are good to us. You are holy and righteous and right. May these words be your words and may they bear good fruit.
If they're not your words, let them pass away. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.